So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and the Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. Hi, good people. I'm, I'm incredibly excited that you, you came in. Here's the third installment of uh, Bible School. Uh, we are in chapter two today. If we can make it to chapter three, I think we may make it halfway. We'll just kind of see where the Holy Spirit leads, and, and we're going to go that way. Um, I, I think there's something I neglected to do in the first two, so we're going to pray that God leads this study. So just we're going to pray real quick. Gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to learn more about your word. God, would you sit in the cold down and allow you to stand up, uh, speak through me on all of the study that I've done, and allow us to dig deep into the words of your words of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in chapter two, finally. Um, and chapter one, you know, we kind of tapped into chapter two the last time, but chapter one, as we know, is like one of the most common verses, uh, chapters in the Bible. Every, almost everybody knows it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we kind of dug into what it means. So today we're going to, you know, we tapped into the first few verses of it last week, but today we tap into uh, not a repeat, um, not an eighth day as some may view it, but more so uh, a revisiting of day six and some of the other days. But really there's a, a large focus on day six in chapter two and three, and we get an understanding of how man came to be. Uh, we know that God spoke them into being, but we know that there's some more details, some of them that we're familiar with and some of them that are hidden deep into the scriptures. And so through deep study, I thank God that we have been able to uncover some of them. In several of the studies that I, I was re reading and listening to and getting ready to do this podcast, uh, they were talking about the Neanderthals and some of the things um, about evolution. And one of the most beautiful things that I found is that there are several scriptures throughout the New and Old Testament that disprove some of the scientific claims that creationism is not real. And so when we begin to look at uh, what God has got going on and, and, and some of the beautiful things that are going on in scripture, um, what we can we get to find is that everything points back to truth. Um, and it's ironic, I did another podcast for Life School today on truth, but it's, it's really, really good. Uh, so we're, we're, gonna, we're just going to dig in, and we're going to start reading, and we're going to go until we can't go anymore. You know, it's usually about an hour or 50 minutes is when I, get, I call, it, call it quits, and we'll just pick up next week or next time uh, where we pick up. So we're going to start at, I think, verse 7, I think. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the seventh day and how important the seventh day was. Um, if you don't know, the seventh day is important. It, it, it brought finality to everything. Seven is not a divine number. Seven means complete. And so I know we see seven and people assume that it's all divine, but seven is not really divine. Seven is just completion, but we know that God is a God of order. So we know that in his completion, um, a divine God called it to be, and so seven is important. But I, don't, I do want to dispel that, and I think I dispelled it last time, but I want to make sure that we understand that. Um, and so in verse five, he says, and before every, every plant of the field was in the earth and before every herb of the field grew for the Lord, God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was not a man to till the ground. And so this is, like I'm, I told you, this is not a day eight, you know, the beginning of it talks about day seven. We see a shift in scenery or a shift in focus and discussion. It's like, if I'm having a conversation with you and, and then I need to go back and revisit something that I said earlier to make it make more sense. That's what's happening here in these verses. After verse 3, he talks about uh, chapter 3. So if we talk about the book of Genesis, and I, I really I'm going to try to slow down because I know I get excited, I talk fast. When we talk about the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis is a book of 10 genealogies. And so it, 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 what you, I hope you know what a genealogy is. A genealogy is like your, your, your family line. 
Well, the first genealogy that we get is the genealogy of the heavens and the earth. How do I know that? Verse 4 says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. Okay? And so we just know that that is that's a, that's a beginning place. Um, we know that that's a genealogy. That's all he, want, he needed for us to know. So whether the gap theory that we talked about or the pre-Adamites or anything that we talk about in the first podcast is true that, you know, it's speculation. This is what was important. So the things that are noted here in Genesis are the things that God finds important. Now, we can look at Genesis in a couple of different ways, and it's one of the deeper books of the Bible, and a lot of people don't believe it because they're like, oh, this is full of fairy tales. It's not A, it's not fairy tales. But B, it can be, it's, it's a book of history, but it's also a book of prophecy. And the deeper we dig into this book, it, it is amazing how it ties itself into the New Testament as well as Old Testament and as well as Revelation. Um, and we know Revelation is part of the New Testament, but we know that bad boy can stand on its own if it needed to. Um, and so when we look at this thing and we begin to understand what is, um, we begin to understand what is Genesis. Genesis, like I said, is a book of genealogy. It's, it's 10 families that it talks about. Well, t- nine families and one of, of the, the genealogy of the heaven and the earth. And, and it's important that we understand where heaven and earth and, and at least the present age that we know where that came from and how it was derived. And when we can come to understand that, then we can begin to understand the genealogies of people. So the second genealogy we begin to see is a genealogy from Adam and Adam's wife, Eve. And we're, we're about to dive into that now. We're going to talk about some really, really deep stuff, and I'm going to try to wrap it in and make it plain. Uh, because like I said, this book, it, it can be perceived simply, or you can sit here and see how it already foreshadows everything that is to come in the Bible. Um, and I think it's one of the most amazing things uh, <laughs> about this particular chapter. So uh, we, we got to, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day of the Lord, God made the earth and the heavens. Simply put, that's the genealogy of heaven. Verse five, and before every plant of the field was in the earth and before every herb of the field grew for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. That's right. There, there had not been rain up until the point that uh, man happened. Yes, rain, there was water. He talked about that prior to him creating the plants and all of that stuff. But there was not rain. Uh, there were wellsprings that came up from the ground uh, at that time. And we, we don't see rain until the days of Noah. And so <laughs> and, and so that is, that is a shifting point. Now, it's interesting to me as we talked about these the gap theory and the pre-Adamites in the first podcast, it is incredibly interesting to me that he talks about, here we talk about the genealogy of the earth, and the first time we see a godhead, oh no, the first time we see earth uh, created, and then we later we're going to talk about Noah, and when we talk about Noah, we talk about the earth getting wiped out and reset again, which kind of says that, hey, God will do that. The earth can be reset. It is possible. It is very plausible. And so I think it is it's, it's pretty awesome to see that come into being. But okay, verse 6, he says, but there went up a mist from the earth, and that's those wellsprings I was talking about, and watered the whole face of the ground so that those shrub, well, whole face of the ground, scripture end. And, 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 and that happened because he had to water the plants and the shrubs and the trees so that there would be nourishment for the animals and the humans that were to come in the latter days. Like I told you, verse 2 is a lot of commentary on what happened. Oh, chapter 2 is a lot of commentary on what happened in chapter 1. And it sets the stage for all of humanity. So the more that we know about chapters 2 and 1 kind of makes everything else make so much more sense. Um, and verse 7, now this is the part that we all are familiar with, and this is the part where it gets it gets a little, it's, we start seeing all types of stuff. So verse 7, that complete verse, right? And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, of course, the, the fact that he has a soul is going to be made more prevalent as we study scripture a little bit more. Um, but the fact that he has a soul is important, and I think I covered this the last time, but the fact that he has a soul is, is, is um, important because we see a difference between animal and, 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 and heavenly, okay? See, animals all had, had these physical beings, and he spoke, and he took them from dirt and all that good stuff, and he created them. 
But man transcended the norm. You had angels who were heavenly. And you had God who, well, he was just God. And then you had these animals that he made, and they, they didn't have souls. And now he's created this being that is out of his image, and it has both a body and a soul. And so it's got, we transcend something that's deeper. We can be in spiritual war and physical war. An animal is only in physical war. Uh, a, a, a spirit can only be in spiritual war, but we can be torn between the two. And it is, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. <clears throat> um, but he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he formed. So he puts him in, in Eden, and a lot of, there's a lot of speculation about where Eden was. There are scholarly articles that they like to assume <laughs> that Eden is in Europe. I, I think that's foolish. Uh, people want to say that it's in Asia, and they've written um, plenty of scholarly articles about it being all over the world. But if we read the next few verses, we can get an idea. But but I'm gonna when I'm, I'm gonna talk to you in a minute, um, and we're gonna try to get a better understanding of where where we think Eden may be, and we may not know, we may never know. But I'm gonna tell you what I think once we read these verses. And the Lord God planted a garden in eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground God made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the river went out of Eden to the water of the garden. And thence it was parted and became four heads. Okay, I'm keep reading. And the first is Pishon. That is which com compasseth the whole land of Hevelah where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good, and there the delium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Jehan. The same is that which compasseth the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Hittakel, and it is that goes eastward of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Okay, so we've got we've got these these four. Now I want you to keep in mind that in a few chapters, which will probably be a few hundred thousand, a few few thousand years, few however long it's going to be, it's going to be a long period. And in that long period, what we'll see is eventually God is going to wipe out the earth uh, via water, via rain, and He's only going to save Noah and his family uh, because they were the only ones that were righteous in His sight. So. The the rivers and all of that stuff that were that were there were probably moved uh, because, you know, water drives and it causes new pathways to happen. The more force there is and the more water it is, waterways will change. And so you see. You see him um, try to tell you where everything is except for the river Euphrates. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the Euphrates is still present. So whether it, it follows the same route or a similar route, it's probably the only thing that we can be certain of or where it is. And so I would just recommend you go get a geography book and look up the river Euphrates, and you probably have an idea where the Hittikel was. Um, the fourth river, my problem, my, my son, I'm sorry, in the Euphrates. And then that'll probably give you a pretty good idea of exactly where Eden was. We're, we're trying to get into where Eden was and all that good stuff. But moving a little alone, he says, um, so God took him and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. So he, he basically said, I'm about to give you this beautiful garden that you're not going to really have to tend or anything. You want me, you're going to have to keep it and dress it, but I'm going to let you stay here. It's perfect. You know, earth is perfect, but Eden is really, really nice, and I'm going to let you stay there. That's going to be your home. Uh, verse 16, he says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. So there are trees, and I imagine vines, plants. You know, any taste bud would probably be satisfied in the Garden of Eden. But verse 17 is where we have to take note. He says, But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So here's the thing. It's the knowledge of good and evil disobeying the law that God has given. Now, this is the first law, and at this time, the only law that he has given to man. He says, don't eat of this tree, because this tree is going to expose you to some things that you cannot handle. This tree is going to expose you to some things that are going to take your benefits away. This tree is going to expose you to some things that you're just mentally not in the right place to deal with. And so, 
He says, eat of anything else. Look, I'm giving you everything you could imagine. You've got every tree. If you like apples, you got apples, you got oranges. If you you want a mixed breed, I got mixed breeds over here. I got I got delicious apples. I got green apples. I've got uh, banana trees. I've got all the things you can imagine, grapevines and everything that you want. Here is here. And it's just don't go over there and eat the fruit of that tree. And he makes it very clear. He says, look, and then he says, you're going to surely die. And so I know as you get through the verses, they're like, well, they didn't drop dead. He just said, you'll surely die. He didn't say when they would die. And that's just, that's, just, that's a spoiler alert. And God, and then he, so he says, uh, but it's, here's the thing about the knowledge of the good and evil. At the moment that you break this law, at the moment that you eat of the tree, you are exposed to evil. You're welcoming evil into the earth. Evil was not was not present in the earth. Evil didn't have dominion on the earth. See, he gave you dominion in chapter one. Dominion was made yours in chapter one. You got power in chapter one. In chapter one, you are the boss. There is no one competing for your bosshood uh, until we meet the serpent. But as we meet the serpent in a couple of verses, we still see that there's dominion because he has to do some convincing, which means that the convin- the, uh, the the dominion belongs to the to the man. And as long as the man has dominion, that Satan can't do anything. But if he can get the ear of the man, we'll see later, uh, that the dominion begins to get threatened. Now, it doesn't mean that he's not going to have his dominion, that he's not going to be able to take hold of his dominion, or that he won't be able to walk in dominion. It just means that it begins to get challenged. Ooh. Now, the knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is this idea that there was no evil in the world. God did not make any flaw in the world. To eat of this tree means that you become conscious of things that you were unconscious of before. You had you had to notice some things, and then we begin to see the beginning of reperversion uh, and perversions of such things, and. And it, it, it takes a slow toll, but eventually it gets really, really sick, really, really fast. Um, you know, perversions don't just happen in Romans, in the Roman church. Uh, it happens right here in Genesis. Uh, that's why he wiped out the earth in uh, Noah's day. So continuing to read on. At 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper for him. Now, so. I think it is really good. This is a very common verse. Usually people recite this at weddings and people dig into this one. This one is important to people. People take a lot of value into this one. This one is one of those verses that um, people love. I want to talk about this one. Let's talk about this one. Why do people like to talk about this one? Because it reminds you that we're not in this thing by ourselves. I I know I hang my hat on the idea that God surely isn't going to let me do this thing called life by myself. And so as we can hang our hat on these things, we can, we can be excited about the goodness and the, uh, the things that are to come about partnership. Um, you know, we can even go as far to say that we can look at several instances of partnership, even out of people who are not married. Now, this verse is about marriage. It is the first instance of marriage, and it is the beginning of this perfect relationship that God is gonna, Christ is going to form with the church. And he uses marriage as the model throughout the rest of the Bible. This is the first interpretation. This is, this is one of the first places where we see that Genesis is not just a uh, record book, but it is also a book of prophecy. It all it begins to set the pace and the page for what is coming. Now, we know that the Bible uses types or models throughout the entire word uh, to help us understand things better by and by. So here is the first thing, marriage. Marriage. So first we were looking at this idea of marriage. So God introduces this idea, idea that it's not good for man to be alone. And since it's not good for man to be alone, he says, I'm going to make her, I'm going to make him a helper, a help meet, a helper meet for him, um, or a suitable helper, or a help meet. In other words, I'm going to make him a wife, make him somebody that can help him, make him somebody that's important for him, with him, and all, of, all such good things. Why? Because it's not good for man to be alone. You can't do this thing alone. Just a few days ago, I built a bed. And I had been wanting to build this bed for probably three years, and I just haven't had the time. Well, I've had an abundance of time during the days here lately because I do a lot of my work during at night. And so I built a bed to build in just a few hours, and I'm really proud of it. It came out really nice. And but I had I started out with this project. I was going to be building a chair, and I got really frustrated with it because I was out there alone, and I was frustrated, and my head was hurting. I was my body was aching. It just was not a good situation. Well, the next day, the second day. 
because the chair never worked. We ended up taking it to the dump. The second day, my roommate comes outside, and he begins to help me, and things get a little bit easier. Now, the chair still, I still took it to the dump. It still didn't come out well, but things were expedited when I had some help. And because I had some help, things worked better. God did not make it that we would be alone. Proverbs talks about the three-braided cord, and one is better than two are better than one. And a three-braided cord is not easily broken. And the more that we can understand that and the, more, the further we can go, the better we can get, a, get an understanding of what Christ wants for us and in us and in our lives. And the first thing is that this whole isolation thing, and I know that we want to be isolated because we think we, can, we, we, don't, we don't need anybody, we don't want anybody, da 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 da, da whatever your, your thing is. The reality is you do need somebody. And I, somebody that I really, really love, a really good aunt of mine, uh, is all against having people in her life because she's been hurt a lot. And in her state of being hurt, she just thinks she doesn't need people. And and I can see things and, and places in her that where she would be helped if she would let somebody help her. But see, after we've been hurt so many times, we're convinced that we don't need anybody. And the problem is not that you don't need anybody. You don't need the wrong people. You just need the right help. And if you can get the right help, you can be able to move forward in your calling and be able to go to a new level. I've, I've seen it time and time again, whether it's just a friend or it's just something else. Two is better than one. Now, I love some men. I love some time alone. I love doing the things that I need to do. Um, and I like spending time by myself, just me and God. But there is nothing that there are sometimes that we need somebody. We need somebody to bounce our ideas off of. We need somebody to move with, somebody to act with, well, somebody to have fun with. And, and, and it is in these places that we can be grateful that he said it's not good for man to be alone. And he made that very clear in the second chapter of the whole Bible. You know, he didn't spell that, that really short. Now, I would go as far to say this. Everybody's not going to be married. But throughout the course of the Bible, we see people who are not married are still partnered and I'm not. I'm not even suggesting no nothing. No new age stuff. I'm talking about if they're partnered. Paul, Saul, Paul, Paul, Saul had Barnabas. We see uh, before the day of Boaz, Naomi had Ruth when her husband died. When all of it, both of their husbands died. Uh, we see. We see John, uh, David has, has Jonathan, and Jonathan has David to watch his back. Uh, we see all of these people who didn't have a spouse per se, but somebody who was a deep companion of theirs that was there to help them carry their load, to run their ideas off of them, and to make their life just that much easier. And so we see over and over and over again that we do need help, that we can't do this thing alone. And I, I think marriage is a beautiful thing, but I do also understand that marriage is not the God's lot of everybody. But I don't believe his lot is that you would be isolated uh, and have to carry this load alone. Moving just along, verse 19, and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, uh, every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was his name thereof. There again we see the proof of his dominion and his, the power that God has entrusted to him. Now, I just want to pull out a point that they, that at this point, there is no need for salvation. There is no death. And so at this point, um, Adam is under the covering. He's saved at this point. Should he face death, but he's not going to face death, he's saved. His soul is not going to be eternally damned. He's saved. There's no reason for salvation. So that's important. Hold on to that because we're going to come back to that. But he still has his dominion, and that's really important that he, at this point, in verse 19, he has dominion. Every time, Everything prior to verse 19, he has dominion. In verse 20, he still has dominion, and he still has what we would say is salvation. And Adam gave names to all the cattle. Didn't I just read this? Yeah. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help of meat, a help of meat for him. So he has gone and he has named every animal. He's gone through and he's made relationship with these animals. He's seen that these are great animals and they have great purposes. And he can go walk with them and talk. Well, he can't really talk with them. Well, he might be able to. I don't know. <laughs> he, can, he can go and spend the time with them and, and do all the things that he, he, he does. They can go and help him keep eating up, up, up and good. But as far as him finding the help that he truly needs, there is nobody suitable to be paired with him. And because there is nobody suitable to be paired with him, the Lord, here in verse 21, caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up his flesh instead thereof. Now check this out. In the New Testament, we, we don't see them talk about Christians being dead. Whenever we talk about a Christian 
being there, they have fallen asleep. So I think it's ironic here. We're in Old Testament, but this is before any fall of man, that God says he calls a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Now, it's very possible there's some deep anesthesia, but I just I think it is very ironic um, and very something we can take note of that he falls into a deep sleep because he, at this point, if we, we, if we want to talk about the perfect state of man, uh, there is no need for redemption at this point. All is well. All is good. Adam hadn't fallen yet. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up his breast instead thereof. So he, he, he takes a rib, and the rib which the Lord had taken from the man, he made, a, he made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is the bone of my bones, the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, I think we can take a note here. He takes the rib out of the man. Now, notice he didn't take a foot bone, nor did he take a skull bone. He took the rib. Now, we can surmise a couple of things from the rib. He took the rib. The rib is from the side. So her job was to help. Now, it wasn't that she would be under his feet, nor that she rule over him, but that she would be out of his side, taken from his side. I think that is a good point right there, that God made them to help and assist one another, to com- help complete one another. And, and that's not to suggest that we are incomplete. That just means that there are some work areas that we may not have in our own lives. So to be paired with somebody would be a help place for us. So uh, continuing, now he took her from the side. Now also we can notice that it came from the side under his arm. That's that's where the rib is. So that's that. I think that's symbolic of of a um, a protection mechanism. That he she's in a place where he can always protect. And we will later find out that the man is the covering. Um, we'll we'll talk about that through other verses. The man is the covering. The man has a cover has to cover the house. Um, that's his job. He is first responsible to God for anything that happens in his house with his family and all of that good stuff. And so it is important that we notice here that. Uh, that that he is he is subject to what God has said and, and all of these things. Now, uh, verse twenty four. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be flesh, shall be one flesh. Now, so here's the thing. Uh, for this cause should a man leave his mother and father in order to cleave to his mother and father. Now here, we again, we see the supernatural implications of marriage, the model for redemption of the universe, okay? So now let's, let's just fast forward, and I hope that you have a little bit of Bible knowledge, and if not, you just have to wait like a thousand podcasts till we get the New Testament. Um, but here, here's, here's a supernatural implications of marriage. It's the model for redemption. Think about it. Christ is the... Um, Christ is the is the is the the Christ marries the church that's his bride and so that's the model that he uses and his love this giving love now this is going to be really important when we step into chapter three in just a couple of minutes uh, it's probably going to change some things in some some ways that you've thought about Genesis as a whole but marriage remember that you're giving all giving all of you to another person and you are leaving your mother and your father, you're letting go of mom and daddy, you're letting go of their rules and their, their guidelines um, in order to lord over your household because now you have created something new, something fresh, something that is yours. Um, and you are completely committed into making sure that what you have with this other person is important, okay? So uh, that's that's just one of those important things that we need to hold on to and, and look into uh, because it is important. Verse 25, and they were both naked and the man and his wife were not ashamed. Now, they were not ashamed because they did not have the knowledge of good and evil. They had not eaten from that tree. There was no need to be ashamed of your nakedness because there was no need to be ashamed. Now, this is the place where we see the difference between a sold animal and a, and a non-sold animal. In other words, human and animal. That is where the difference happens. You watch animals walk around naked every day, all day. There ain't no reason to be ashamed. There's no soul. They have no knowledge of good and evil. Uh, they haven't participated in that tree, and so there is no problem, no issue that needs to be absolved. Okay, verse 3. Now, it now enters the serpent. Verse 3, now the serpent was more subtle than the, any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What? So here, I want you to notice this. He is planting a seed of doubt in the mind of Eve. He doesn't come for Adam. And, and we, we're going to talk about why that's important that he doesn't come for Adam. But he doesn't come for Adam, he comes for Eve. 
And the first thing he does is he plants doubt. And and he does that in your lives too, because if he can place doubt, what did the did the Bible really say I can't tell a lie? Did the Bible really say I can't steal? Well, what if I steal because I'm gonna be like Peter Pan, or I'm gonna be like Robin Hood rather, and and I'm gonna take from the rich and give to the poor? Is it really a sin then? If he can plant a a bit of doubt, he can drive a wedge in between you and the God that we love so much. If we can drive a wedge in between us, we know that God hates sin, and he can try to get you separate from him. See, this was before nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, because there was no Christ at this point. You know, Christ was there in the beginning, was the word, and the word was him, but he had not died on the cross, and so he had not been the reconciler or the kinsman redeemer for our sins yet. So, <laughs> so um, he Satan uses this even today. He's, he's convinced that if he can drive a wedge between you and the love of Christ, that we'll find we'll 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 just we'll just be okay and, and it'll be a mess and da 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 xyz okay and so now you can imagine that eve's wheels are turning on the inside of her head well i don't know because he just, you know that's what adam told me he told me not to eat from the tree of good of the knowledge of good and evil and so i just hadn't been eating from it that's what she he told me you know god never told me not to eat from that tree so you know and now her brain is stirring well, why can't I eat from the tree? You know, do you think I'm going to really die? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the, of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye shall die. So at this point, you know, she's thinking about it, but she's still standing on what Adam has told her that God told him. You know, because that's what's ingrained in her. That's what he told her from the moment she was made. Look, we can eat anything. We can do anything. Just don't eat from that tree, and it's going to be okay. And here is the thing that Satan does. Verse 4, he says, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. He begins to say that the consequences that God has given us for certain sin are not so. And if, if, if he can convince us that there are no consequences to the wrong that we do, we'll do it. You know, a lot of times we don't do wrong, not because we don't want to do wrong, but because we have a fear of God. Check this out. There was a little kid, and uh, he was he was crying, and his dad walks up, and he says, what's up, what's wrong, why are you crying? He just keeps crying, he's crying, he's crying, 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 crying. And then his daddy says, um, boy, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? And his dad, he, he looks at him, he says, boy, he pushed me. And, he said, and so the dad is like, well, he pushed you, what did you do? And he, he, he says, I didn't do nothing. And he's like, well, what did your mama say do when, when somebody pushed you? She said, hit them back. And he's like, well, why do you push them back? Because you said, because daddy said, you said, go tell the teacher. And, and so I didn't hear him. And so he starts crying even more. And she's like, why are you crying harder? Because I know I could have beat him up. But you said, don't do it. And so here we see if we would have more moments like that as Christians and as Jews and as people who believe in this sovereign God, uh, if we would have more moments like, but daddy said, but God said, I'm not going to do it because he said don't do it. I don't need to do it. We should be take our notes from this kid. And we should take our notes from this kid because this kid understands that when daddy says, I'm not going to do it but just because daddy said it. I didn't, I didn't need a whole bunch of explanation. My daddy said I can't do it, so I ain't going to do it. Mama said I can beat his butt, but daddy said I can't beat his butt, and so I'm not going to do it. If Eve would have taken this moment, if, if, if uh, 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 Adam would have taken this moment and said, but daddy said. See, she started out, right? No, but God said we can't. But she allowed that doubt to begin, continue to infiltrate. When people approach you, and they start telling you what you can do that is contrary to the word of God and contrary to what you know to be moral, good, and right. And they begin to tell you that you can, cannot do these things, and you know for a fact that God said don't do it, but you think you can do it anyway. You need to tell that demon to go back to hell where it belongs because it is a heresy. Look, I'm just going to be frank with y'all because I think my, there seems to be a disconnect in our society. The, the disconnect is this. If you are convinced. The Bible says don't fornicate. If you don't know what fornicate is, it means don't have sex outside of marriage. And if you are convinced that you can have sex outside of marriage because Satan has convinced you of it and Satan has taught you that it's okay and he's told you that there are no consequences, you're going to step out there and tie your soul to something that is not okay. That is, one of the, that is the only sin that, that hurts your own soul. 
And so when we, we get convinced because society has convinced us because Satan has weaseled his nasty head in there, look, there are real consequences here. And God, Daddy said, don't do it. Now, I love you. Still, if you go out there and you, and you sin, and he loves you too, but I'm telling you there are consequences that you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life when you step out and do some stuff like that. Just like Adam and Eve, in the next few verses, we're going to see that not only for the rest of their life are they going to have to deal with it, but, but here we are thousands and thousands of years later still dealing with the consequences of the one mistake that they made after Daddy said, don't do it. <sighs> here we go. We can, we're still going, still going. Um, verse 5. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open. And you shall be gods, knowing good and evil. So here we go. We see Satan taking a, a partial truth. Yes, your eyes are going to be open, but you're not going to be a god. It's a low little g, but you, you're not going to be a god. And your eyes are going to be open. And you're going to know good and evil. But see, he has trick, put a trick in there. You're going to be like a god. See, he's taking the same trick. Come on now. This is something I want you to notice. Because we're gonna get, when we get to this, we're going to talk about how he fell from heaven. But, and it's going to be in a little while. But uh, he used the same trick that got him put out of heaven. He was, thought, he was convinced that he was going to be God. And people had amped him up that thinking that he could be God. And that was the thing that got him thrown out of heaven. And because it was a thing that got him thrown out of heaven, it is a thing that he convinced Adam and Eve, or he convinced Eve to convince Adam that this was the very thing that would get them thrown out of perfect paradise. Isn't that, ain't that a crazy parallel? The thing that got thrown, him thrown out of paradise is the thing that got them thrown out of paradise. By who? Listening to the Satan. Listening to the serpent. Listening to the one that wants to de 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 deceive you. Scripture teaches us that uh, the devil comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. He has destroyed, and he's stealing their perfect peace and their perfect home and their perfect life. He is destroying uh, uh, this, this, this earth, and it, the, the earth is going to begin to groan from the pains of the disorder, allowing evil to come in and inhabit. He's, he's, he knew that he could try to get some of this dominion that he gave them if he could get them to fall. And so that's what we, we're, we're about to see. I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm getting excited. Verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and, the, and that a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and ate and gave unto her husband with her, and he ate. She was convinced that she could be wise. She was convinced that she could get knowledge. She was convinced that her life could be changed. She was convinced that she could get to places. She was convinced that they, they would be changed. She was convinced that she could get these things. She was convinced that she could be a god. And then she went and convinced her husband because Satan convinced her. Now, I want to make, make sure that we understand this, and I want to pull, uh, pull this out. That she was covered as long as Adam didn't eat. When she was eating and enjoying the tree, she was okay. Now, she, he could have allowed the natural uh, progression of things to go forward. He could have allowed, you know, these things to go happen, and she received some punishment from God. But he loved her. There's a lot that happens in verse 6. He loved her so much that he partake too. Now, I would imagine Adam has been communing with God a lot longer than Eve has. He's been on earth, and he's been seeing the way that God understands. And he, he, I, would be, I would imagine that there was a little bit of foreknowledge that he knew that if he ate of this, he was going to forfeit some stuff. He may not have known the, gravi the gravity of what he was about to forfeit, but I think he knew that he was about to forfeit some stuff. But we see that this is, again, this is, this is, the, for this is the, the foundation of what marriage is and what love is. He ate of the tree because his wife was now doomed. And because he loved her, no greater love is it that a man would lay down his life for a friend. He gave up his freedom and his stuff so that he may have what his wife, he may be with his wife and experience the love and the joy that she too had. So what we see is he eats the fruit. Now, what we, I think verse 6 is often understudied because Adam knew. She didn't hear directly from God, but Adam knew, and he still ate after she ate. And we could say it was out of direct disobedience, but I'm convinced that it was because 
he saw that his wife had now fallen on a, on a sword, and he had to save her. And save her. Not quite did he do, but he did make an ultimate sacrifice. Now, if we were to look at a model, and we were to think about this thing, we see that this marriage is, in some ways, just like Jesus Christ. We sin, we're like Eve. We make mistakes every day, we're like Eve. Jesus Christ knew not to sin, knew, knew not to, to make, make mistakes, but he still took on sin so that we would be made okay. And so this is like a foreshadowing of what is to come in the word. Um, we're still in Genesis 2, so there's still a lot to go, and there's still a lot to go. But verse 7, and the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed figs together and made themselves things to gird about. Now, you remember in the, at the end of verse 1, uh, uh, the, no, 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 yeah, at the, no, at the end of verse 2, I'm mean, chapter 2, my, my apologies, we see that they were naked, and they didn't know. It didn't matter that they were naked. Now that their eyes are open, they see that there's something to be embarrassed about in their nakedness. And so that's going to be the first sign to God, even though God is always, always everywhere and he already knows what's happened. But they're not realizing that their eyes have been opened, but they are now uh, exposed mentally and are now physically to themselves. Um, so they sold figs together and made themselves some, some clothes out of leaves and stuff. And at 8, verse 8, then they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God amongst the trees of the garden of Eden, of, of, of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? And he said, I heard that voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, wherefore I commanded thee not to should not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said unto the, unto the woman, What is this thou hast done? And the woman said, The, the, the serpent beguiled me. And I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon the belly, the, the belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt eat thou eat all the days of thy life. Now there's a lot packed in that verse, but let me just go back and back up into these other verses real quick before I deal with that. What we see here is uh, the woman gay, he, he blames it on the woman, but he asks Adam initially, why did you eat? Because he gave the commandment to Adam. And he does question Eve because he does he does tell Eve. But Adam is the one that's in trouble first. And Adam is in trouble first because he gave the commandment to Adam. Adam is the one who created first. Man came from Adam. I mean, woman came from Adam. And so it was Adam's responsibility to, to make sure that he did not eat and to really make sure that his house didn't partake. And even if his house had partaken, to still be the covering that said, no, baby, that was wrong. You got to get somewhere. No, you got to apologize. And then you see how God calls him on this stuff. Who told you you was naked? You didn't know you were naked yesterday. You, you were walking around here like everything was cool. So who told you that you were naked? Sometimes... <laughs> We get in a place and we start worrying about things that God didn't tell us to worry about. We're worrying about things that are none of our business to worry about. And, and we have made it our life to be worried about stuff. And God hasn't even given us the information to be worried about. Be careful who you let A, sow into you and who you let tell you what to be worried about. <sighs> okay, moving along, moving along. Uh, we're back to verse 14. And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and the dust shall eat you all the days of life. So here, here is this idea that possibly the serpent does not look like serpents. We know they don't look like, maybe they don't look like snakes. Like we know they, they, they eat dust now, so now maybe they had legs. You know, uh, there are a lot of people who say that they evolved, evolved like regular reptiles and had legs and things of this sort. But we know now they have no legs. He says they eat dust. So now we know snakes, they slither. So when the serpent was talking to him, he said the serpent was sly. It's possible that this was a very beautiful animal. It's, po it's possible that this animal uh, was, was similar and had the ability. And, and then this animal was talking, you know. Were all the animals talking? Or is this something when we got the knowledge of good and evil? Like, what happened? And so we see it's a lot of things that are contingent upon God putting this curse on the serpent because the serpent was allowed to be used by Satan, or he, he was Satan, or whatever it was. And then he continues, he says, and I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and between her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise thy his heel. 
And so he says, I'm going to put some issues between y'all. And that's why men and women are so, struggle so much to get along. That's why we struggle to in, understand each other. And I believe this is where the whole uh, women are from Mars, the men are from, men are from, no, women are from men, men are from Mars, or women are like spaghetti, men are like waffles. He said, I'm going to put enmity between you. I'm going to cause issue between you because you have d- disobeyed me. I gave you one rule and you broke my one rule already. How dare you? And so here we find ourselves. And then he and, and unto Adam he said, uh, no, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself. He says, verse 16, he says unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply that sorrow and that conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children, and that desire shall be thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Ooh, that's not good. He says, he says, so when you have babies, it's gonna hurt. You're going to struggle. You're going to be in pain. And I'm going to make sure that every every month you're going to struggle this thing out. And so the issues that women undergo in childbirth and the process leading up to childbirth and the struggles that they go through all happen here in the garden when they ate of this tree. And then unto Adam he says, Oh, and then thy desire shall be thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And so we see at first he put him on the side, and now he's put him under the feet. And uh, we see issues springing up and so now you've gone from being equal now you're being you're being lowered and all throughout biblical history we see issue after issue after issue after issue with that and woman being treated lowly and less than and still in the workplace you see that over and over and over again and and it's a it's a groaning an earth groaning for the fall of man which has still got issues going on and unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten from the tree which I commanded thee, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow thou shalt eat of all the days of your life. Your life is about to be harder. You're about to have to work. You're about to have to struggle. And you're only going to have to struggle. I, that was not my intention that you would struggle. I wanted you to live in perfect peace and just worship me. I wanted you to be able to keep, keep the garden and just have a, enjoy the world, enjoy life, and enjoy these great things. But because you had to disobey me, I'm going to make everything after your kind have to struggle. And so we see the state of the world shift. Not just these two, but the state of the world shift. Why? Because they, these two were the head. These two had dominion. And so we know that when punishment happens and when issues come about, they, they start at the head and they circle down. And because they start at the head and they circle down, this is why we see uh, issues throughout mankind. Verse 18, thorns and also thistles shall bring it forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Ooh, that's not good. So issues, you're going to see thorns start popping up in animal in, in, in the plants and, and you're going to eat the herbs, but it's going to, it's going to be hard for you to eat it. And in 19, in thy sweat of thy face shall, shall thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken, for the dust thou art, and unto the dust thou shalt return. So prior to this, there was no death. Death was not going to happen. These bodies were not going to give up. These bodies were made for eternity. These bodies are actually like um, what we were looking forward to, what we look forward to in heaven, the new bodies that we were excited about getting. Uh, when we finally make it to heaven, heaven is like a plan B of sorts. Um, because earth was supposed to be our final resting place. Um, but we apparently couldn't handle that in our free will, and we were good and disobedient. And so uh, he, he's just calling out that there is a str- uh, struggle. And verse 20, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And unto Adam, unto Adam, and also his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. So God, you know, uh, God made them some clothes because now they were aware of their issue of nakedness. And unto uh, Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of sin and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become one of us to know good and evil. And now let's put forth his hand and also take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Let me read that again. Verse 22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become one of us to know good and evil. And now let's put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. And he drove out the man and he placed at the east garden two cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the, uh, 
the tree of life. Now that's a really important verse. We're going to see that again in Revelation. Um, but verse 22, behold, the man has now become one of us. And so, you know, the serpent in some ways was not lying, but they didn't become gods. We, you know, he made us in his likeness and his image, but now we have the knowledge of good and evil. So there was no more naivete. And so the uh, desire God as our father was trying to protect us from the good, the knowledge of good and evil. And we took that from ourselves by way of Adam and Eve. And by taking that, there was struggle and there was pain that had to come along with that. You know, it talks about the heart of God is grieved throughout all of these, all throughout the Bible because of the things that we do and, and, and allowing evil to penetrate our hearts and, and allow evil to do all, all such things. And so we see a struggle. Now, verse 23, therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Edom to till the ground from which he was taken. So now he's got to go and till this ground which from which he was taken. He was taken from dirt. And, and so there's a constant reminder that he came from dirt. And you didn't have, you were not going to have to go to dirt, but now you're going to have to return to dirt. And so I'm going to make sure that you have a constant reminder so we know that he's going to be a sower or a farmer. Um, because he has a constant reminder of what he's going to have to do, he, what, what the imminent fate that he's going to have to do. And so God drove him out. Um, as verse 24 says, and then he put the cherubims in a flaming sword. Now this is the good part. Uh, it was turned everywhere to keep them, keep the way to the, the tree of life. Because there's evil in the world, but the tree of life yet remained. Uh, he, and he put two angels, two great mighty angels there to guard the way. So then, And that's like a precursor saying that Christ is going to come and Christ is going to make this right. Uh, and even before we even know that there's going to be a redeemer or, the, or Judaism or there's a chosen people or anything like that, before any of that happens, we see that God is going to preserve the hope that life is possible. Because at this point, there is no, there's no possible. Like their souls are not saved. Like there is no, there is no redemption for them at this point. He's angry, you know, like damnation and death is what they have coming for them when they finally live. Now they're going to live like all these long, like, like 900 years or something like that. But death is imminent. There was no death imminent before they ate this fruit. But God, he, he holds hope. And that's what I love about God. Even when he's angry, he still presents a modicum of hope. Now there may not be hope necessary for these two, but there is hope for mankind. Even though he's punishing mankind, there's still hope for mankind. And that's one of the most beautiful things that I love about God is that he always allows hope. There is always hope. It doesn't matter how bad the things that you have done are. And see, that's one of the beautiful things is that we have Christ. And we can walk with Christ. We can talk with Christ. We can live with Christ. We can commune with Christ. And as long as we walk and talk and commune with Christ, we know that we have our hope. Now, we, we all not do things that are going to upset him purposefully. We all not do things that are going to make him upset with us on purpose. That's not right. That's never right. Uh, but the but what what we what we must know is that God is faithful, God is mighty, and God is righteous. And if we can hold on to these truths, we can know that uh, He's gonna guide us and He's gonna lead us. Um, and just be glad that there's hope in verse 24. Next time we'll pick up right there on chapter four, and hopefully we'll keep it in a chapter, uh, uh, keep it in, in order and right. I think we're just about out of time. Um, and so, I'll catch me next time. This has been Bible School with Reverend Kojo.